Um, you know, in, in life, you have very few opportunities whilst sober to discuss the deep questions of life. Normally, we leave that to when we're drunk. Uh, and the answers you come up with when you're drunk are not helpful, right? And so e-group, this particular this call, it's, it's an opportunity. Most people in your group are going to be sober. You can discuss these deep questions. We're not going to assume anything, right? We're going to discuss these deep questions about what on earth, what, what, what is life really about uh, in a space where we can actually find some answers. You know, because the artist knows and you don't. The thing about art is the artist knows what they were saying when they painted the picture, wrote the poem. The artist knows, but if you spend enough time looking at art, you'll know that the artist knows and nobody else could possibly know, right? That's the nature of art. It's, it's in, in its truest form, it's only true. It's only every percent true in the, in the heart of the artist. And we've got to know the heart of the artist who created us if we're going to understand what we mean, what we're supposed to be on about. We, as an artwork, we can't tell ourselves what we're created for because we didn't create us. Now, that's a big, that's a really important point because most people think that they created themselves or they're, they're a product of their culture, so they look to their culture to give them the answer. Or they're, they're a product of education, so they look for education to give them the answer. Or they're the, problem of, they're the product of random biology, so they look to random biology to try and find meaning. But I say we're the product, we're the artwork of a great artist. And we've got to know that artist if we're going to know our meaning, if we're going to know purpose. My mum is an abstract artist. I don't know if she's a... I don't know if she's trying to be abstract, but it turns out that way. Uh, that's a, just a joke. I'm sorry, Mum. She may listen to this. Uh, and uh, sorry about that. That was just too good a joke. I'm an abstract artist. I try to be a realist, but it turns out abstract. It's the beauty of it. It's pure art. But the nature of abstract artwork is, um, and the, the type of work that my mum does, is that you paint it. You paint it on your easel, right? There you go. You paint it. That's a visual aid for people. That's what painting looks like. You paint the artwork, and then on occasion, mum's forced into selling art. She only sells art when she's literally run out of space to store it, or um, dad would like her to sell more of it, and so she'll have a sale that she'll sell the art. And people buy the artwork, and sometimes as people you know end up buying some of the artwork because you invite them to the sale, and um, you know uh, they're, they're not just being kind because she doesn't sell them cheap, uh, right? So they buy the artwork, and then they hang it on their wall, but then this awkward thing can happen where you go to dinner, at the house of the people who bought the artwork and they've hung your abstract artwork on the wall upside down. But who can know what's the right way up? Do you know what I mean? It's not a stick figure. You can tell the pointy leg bits go at the bottom. It's a bit more complex than that. Um, but, but the reality is that when you paint an abstract artwork, you're supposed to work on it on every paint like you're supposed to paint it and then turn around and work on it and turn it around and work on it so it works however you hang it but it only says what the artist wanted it to say when the, it's hung the right way and only the artist can know and you don't so the reality is what on earth are we here for the reality is that the the first answer to the question is that we is this call to relationship the westminster confession as you all know begins with the question who said it? Someone said it out there. Someone said it. Now there's a real Christian out there, everyone. What is the chief end of man? 
uh, which if we put that in English is uh, what's the actual purpose of humanity, the chief end, the purpose of humanity. And the answer to that question in the Westminster Confession, even in the Shorter Catechism, is simply this, to (laughs) to know God and to enjoy Him forever. That's the central purpose of humanity, to know God, to enjoy Him forever. So that's our call to relationship, a call to know God, a call not just to not just to know about God, but to enjoy Him, and, and not just for now, but forever. It's an eternal call. We also have a call to mission, to extend God's love to all humanity. What on earth are we here for? We're here to know God. We're also here to extend His love. We have a call to career. We're, we are called to live a life of influence in our workspaces. We're supposed to do everything. Everything we do is supposed to be to God and for God, Right? All of our workspace, all of our career, all of our parenting, all of the effort that we put in the world is to God and for God, right? We also have a call to community. And Pastor Jono preached that last week in the Paramount. I was listening to it during the week. I found it inspiring and I found it just a little too challenging. So I'm going to make sure that next time he's preaching, I'm also away somewhere else. Uh, but no, that's not true. It's challenging. That we're called to to live in Christian community and that that Christian community actually becomes the message of God and the presence of God on earth and in amongst humanity. I reckon that is amazing. And the last thing I want to preach about today is that we are called and we have a call to serve. And if you think about it, we've got a call to relationship, which is knowing God. We've got this call to mission. We've got this call to our in our career or to a career. A vocation is probably a better word than career. We've got this call to live, to work in a way that makes a difference, right? We've got a call to community, but none of the first four work without this last one. Without answering the call to serve, you you just will never know God. Because God's a giver and God is love. And unless we answer the call to serve, you just can't connect with the God of love because you'll never understand him. You'll never understand why he does the things he does, why he says the things that he says, unless you can somehow experience that same love and that same service and that same outward giving in your own world. You'll, you'll, never, you'll never embrace mission if you don't have a call to serve. Because why would you go anywhere and tell anyone anything, let alone go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations? You're never going to do that without answering the call to serve. You're never going to be. You're never going to build a great vocation. You're never going to. The work of your life is never going to amount to much unless it's motivated by service. Uh, and the community that we build is always going to be crap. The community that we build is always going to be weak if we're not motivated by serving. If we're not motivated by others. Hey, let's build great community so that I feel good. Let's build great community so that we look great on the outside. Oh, that's not, let's build great, do you know what that, do you know what that, let's build great community so that we look good on the outside, it's just religion. Because what you do is to do that, you just take all the issues and you sweep them under the carpet. But let's build great community so that we, based on a service for each other, an actual love for each other. Now love is one thing, and service is when it becomes visible, isn't it? And I can, so we're talking this morning about the call to serve, and I can hear it in my, um, in my, you know, when you're preaching, you can imagine yourself in the pew, you know, so you, you, I, you hear, I, when I'm preaching, I hear my own objections, 
<laughs> you know, and I'm a relatively cantankerous person on the inside, so I'm often really battling when I'm saying something up here, and, and sometimes I think it's your voice, but it's really my voice, right? Um, and so, oh, just to shout myself down, I can hear myself saying, oh, yay, another sermon about serving. Oh, yay, Jordan, now going to ask us to join an E-team, which is code word for weird group. And we're going to find ourselves here in the dark, sitting up the stage with Dougal. We're going to, we're going to find ourselves plugging in wires. We're going to find ourselves carrying heavy boxes. We're going to find ourselves in a red, not my color. It's not my color. Red is not my color. I'm going to be wearing a red T-shirt, standing in front of the door. And someone's going to say something like this. Well, just stand at the door and then everyone, everyone who comes to church, smile at them, say hello, and shake their hand. That's a hundred and something people that you're going to smile at. Yay, a sermon about doing lots of stuff I don't want to do. A sermon about doing and doing and doing. That's right, that's what it's going to be, so brace yourself. (laughs) That's the objection, but when we, that objection belies the fact that we don't understand the word. We don't understand, we're not talking about serving we don't, we're, not talking about, we're not talking about doing tasks. We're talking about something much, much deeper. Serving and service and servant hearts and servant attitude. The serve idea needs to underpin who we are as people. It's not about, can I, is red my color? How many, it's not, how many people, red is not your color? That's why the kids team have blue t-shirts. If you're like, it depends what part of Palmerston North you're from. If you're from the Crips side of town, you're in the hosting team. Am I right? No, the Crips is in the kids team. And the, and the Bloods is in the hosting team. Duncan can actually do all of those hand signs because he's from Palmerston North. Not from that other Palmerston. There's not as many gangs in the other Palmerston. It's so important. Serving is so important. Serving is how, you, how we move forward. Some, some people have said to me, oh, Equipus Church has got too much focus on serving and not enough focus on discipleship. This is how we, this is how we grow. Oh, there should be more teaching. Do you know, teaching will bring you to maturity. Prophecy will bring you to maturity. The pastors will bring you to maturity, but they do this by teaching you. Come on. The reality of who Jesus is needs to be reflected in your life. So serving is about something much bigger than there's a whole list of jobs to do and someone needs to do them. Did you know we can already do all the jobs, but we constantly want more people in the teams? Why? Because we want people to move forward. I want you to move forward. I want you to experience everything that God has got for you. Do you know, I want you in the serving team. I want you serving in a team. I want everyone in church. I want you in a team. I want you in the hosting team or I want you in the kids team. And that's sometimes that's depending on whether I want you anywhere near the kids or not. I want you on the pack-up team. You can join me in the pack-up team, and that's dependent on whether I want you anywhere near people or not, all right? Now, in reality, you got to, I, there's space for you to serve, and I want everyone serving somewhere, putting up curtains, straightening up chairs. Do you know why? I want you, I want you spending time with Dougal. I do. I want you, I want you hanging out with Dougal and Rachel. 
Because I would like everyone in our church to be more like Dougal and Rachel. I would like you hanging out with Shane and Yoko, doing the coffee with Yoko, doing the sound with Shane. Why? Because I want everyone in our church to be more like Shane and Yoko. I want everyone in our church to be more like Chrissy, more like Putty and Amanda. I want everyone in our church to be more like Richard Cole. Why? Because these are people who have got something of the nature of Jesus in their heart and they're serving with everything we've got. On our pack-in team, on our pack-in team, at six in the morning, at the container out there, there's at least two PhD psychologists unlocking the container. How many psychologists does it take to set up a church building? Do you know, it takes three. It takes three. Two come early and Rachel always comes later. She's operating more gentlemen's hours. But come on, how many, are you two qualified to help somewhere in church? Are you? Really? Dougal, he, his main job, me and Dougal work together on the stage. These are unbreakable. All right, uh, so me and Dougal do that. Uh, and, and then um, Emma's big thing is the curtain at the back. She does that by herself in about 20 minutes. Uh, but Dougal's probably, I think Dougal's abiding passion is uh, the spacing of the chairs. Uh, the chairs are six floorboards apart in the morning and they're eight floorboards apart in the evening because we actually move a few chairs so it looks like it's the same number of people. Gee, I don't know if you need to go to university for 10 years to do that, but I'm sure it helps. It just adds that little edge because I've not seen anyone do chairs quite like Dougal does, but I've never seen anyone with a PhD do, chair, PhD do the chairs before. Maybe it, maybe it is what it requires, but I don't think you're too qualified I don't think you're too rich. I don't think you're too poor. I don't think you're too stupid. There are some stupid people in the teams. You're not stupider than the stupidest person in the team. I don't want to name any names. I'm trying not to look anywhere, right? <laughs> but come on, we're all, just, we're all just whoever we are, and we're the church, so we're from wherever, and we're serving God. And I reckon you could be a lot more like them because if you could learn that same heart of service that Dougal has, that's going to make you the sort of person who can change the world. It's going to make you the sort of person who changes your workplace. It will make you the sort of person who has an influence in the school that you go to. You'll be the sort of person who has influence up and down your street if you can learn to serve like that. Because learning to serve like that will make you great. It will make you great. It's the only thing that will make you great is learning to serve like that. I want everyone in the Quibus Church Wellington to be great. I want everyone to be promoted at work. I want everyone here to be promoted at work. I particularly want the people who are tithing, I would like you to have more and more money. I pray all the time, God, make the tithers earn double the money. I pray it all the time because I reckon the church of God needs more resource to reach out to the world, right? We're preparing, we're planning, we're praying all the time. We want to launch a Quippers Church in Poro. We want to launch a Quippers Church in Upper Hutt. Why? Because there's people there. We want to make a difference in the world, and we're going to require our hearts to be enlarged by serving. Um, serving makes love visible. It makes it something you can understand and connect with. We love our city. Do we love our city? But if our city comes to the church, are they going to use messy bathrooms, sit in crooked rows? We love our city, but do we really need all the lights? Can't we just turn on more of the flu rows? Do we need a curtain along the back? 
Well, do you know what? We don't need to do anything, but we love our city, so we want to do, here's how love works. We love our city, so we want to do everything we possibly can. Not, we love our city, what's the easiest way to do church? We love our city. What's the cheapest way to do church? I love you, Christine, and I found the cheapest wedding ring I could. I love you, Christine, and I found the cheapest house in town. I love you, Christine, I'm going to take you out for dinner. I found a restaurant where they do nothing. They don't wash their hands. They don't clean the bathrooms. They don't wash their hands after they've been to the bathroom. It's awesome. They do nothing. It's rock and roll. It's edgy. No, it's not. That's not love. Love without service is just romanticism. Real love wipes babies' bums. Oh, I love my kids. Have you changed their nappies? You don't love them if you don't change their nappies. My mum says you learn to love your kids by changing their nappies. Because you don't love them to start with. You learn to love them as you serve them. Oh, I don't really have a love for our church. I don't know how you could get a bit of love our church. I don't know how you could get a bit of love for our city. You can serve because it makes love visible. Do you know, serving makes you unstoppable. If you can develop the sort of servant heart that Dougal has when he's putting the chairs out, even though there's no way in the world he needs to do it. Any one of us could put the chairs out. We don't, you, we don't need a clinical psychologist doing that. Right, what Dougal does for the rest of his week None of us can do that. Well, only some of us can do that, right? Right, but you do need that sort of heart that says, I'll do what it takes because I've got a love for our city. If you have that sort of heart, you will be unstoppable every time there's a promotion opportunity at work. You'll be unstoppable. Do you know when you'll be unstoppable? You'll be unstoppable when other people offend you because you've got a servant heart that makes you unstoppable. You'll be unstoppable when things go wrong. You'll be unstoppable when things go right. Your path, you'll be, you'll be unaffected by economic crisis if you live with a servant heart. And I can hear myself say, yeah, but I don't like, I don't like X, Y, or Z. That's not my call. Um, I don't think Jesus really liked dying on crosses. Dying on crosses is my, well, that's my special thing. I've been doing it for years. I'm better than anyone. Paul didn't like being beaten with sticks. Well, beaten, oh, this is how, this is really my way of serving Jesus. But he didn't like being shipwrecked. Oh, yeah, ship, being shipwrecked is my thing. No, it just happened. It just needed, somehow it needed to be done. There was a, there was a job that needed to be done, right? The Apostle, the Apostle John wasn't just like a specialist in being boiled in oil and abandoned on distant islands. But come on, he was serving. He was saying, hey, here's my life, God. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to go into the world and make disciples. However it works out, however difficult it is, I've, they had a heart, a heart of service that allowed them to be unstoppable. The Apostle Paul starts the book of Romans, which is probably one of his most authoritative pieces of theological writing, where for the next 15 chapters, he's punching people in the face, metaphorically, right? In terms of the grace of God and how it works right through that book. He's tearing down a lot of what other church leaders were preaching at the time. He, it's, he describes himself as cutting the ground underneath the false apostles. He wasn't holding back. And he starts the verse like this. 
Romans chapter 1, Paul the apostle, Paul the apostle, a slave of Christ Jesus. What gave him the confidence to cut the ground from underneath the other apostles when he felt they were wrong? What gives him the confidence to tell a whole culture in the book of Romans, to tell a whole culture how to live? To write things in, the, in Romans chapter 1 about the whole world is without excuse. Everyone is under the judgment of God because of sin. What gives him the confidence to write the real truth of God is he has a slave mentality. He knows that, hey, I'm, I'm just here to serve. Amen? Okay, uh, what's, your old, what's the oldest Christian song you know? Let's have a look around the world. I reckon Jude would know the odd Christian chorus from back in the day. Uh, Jude, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Jimmy, hey, Jimmy, this could be a moment. Sing it out, Jimmy. What's the oldest Christian chorus you know? Come on, sing along. The emblem of suffering and shame. Now, that's actually a great song. What well, oldest Christian song you know, Duncan? Sing it out. Oh, really? Wow, it's, it's the word of the Lord. Kate Price, oldest Christian song you know? Sing it out, sing it out. I'm choosing people who can sing here. You don't know. Kate's had a baby recently and um, it's gone. Yeah, that's a great, isn't that brilliant? How many people wish they could make an excuse like that before I ask them now to sing a song? John, have you had a baby recently? Sing us the oldest song you know. Yeah, thanks for your help, people. Great servant hearts. Let's help Jordan with his sermon. He's got a funny illustration. Let's make it work. No, come on, sing it out. What's the oldest song you know? Sing one out, come on. First one to sing is Get Surprised. I'm doing the percussion. Oh, great, great, great. Next song, next song. I need another song. Oh, you have to sing it, I'm afraid, Jude. What a friend we have in Jesus. That's a good song. That's a good song. Another, you can just name it if you like. Jude's changed the game. You can just name it. Put out Father Abraham. Had many sons, but not many good dance moves. Yeah, and how many other ones? As the deer panteth for the water. That's a good one. Never be thy name, thy kingdom come. Wow. Give Beaver. That's good singing, too. That's good singing, too. Well, I'm about to read to you the oldest Christian song. Right, this is the oldest song in the book. Are you ready? Okay, so they uh, scholars reckon that the, the, this little passage that Paul's about to quote, he's quoting a song, and they, as far as I can remember, it's actually been found inscribed or fragments of it have been found in the catacombs in Jerusalem. So when Christians were first gathering and then gathering in secret, they would sing this, right? So Philippians 2 verse one starts so this. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together within, with His Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Isn't that cool? Paul says this, if it's real, make it look like it's real. If God's doing anything in you, 
If, if, has, he, has he changed your heart? Has he given you new vision? Has he set you free from your sins? Question, question. Hopefully the answer is yes. If not yes, let's pray. Let's believe because God's here to transform us. Then he says, come on, agree. Love one another. And then this one, work together with one mind and one purpose. And then he breaks off into song like every good preacher. He breaks off into song. He says, come on, if God's working inside you, agree together, love each other, and then work wholeheartedly with one mind and one purpose. What is that? Another word for that is serve. Let's work wholeheartedly, right? And he breaks into the song. He says, don't be selfish. No, he's not in the song yet. Then he goes into the song. He says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And here's the song. Though he was God, I can't sing it. I don't know the tune. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to hold on to or to grasp at. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. That's the first verse of the song. Second verse, therefore God elevated him to the highest place or place of highest honor and has given him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue would declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what's Paul, what's Paul doing? He's, talk, he's given instruction. He's talking to them about serving. He's talking about thinking about other people's interests, about working together. Uh, he's talking to them about having the same attitude Christ. And then he sings the song. The power of a song is that it gets in your heart differently to how a piece of prose might. A poem is something that affects your spirit. It affects your soul. And this ancient song, Paul is calling the attention of the readers back to a foundational feeling. That was always part of being a Christian. A foundational ethos, a foundational attitude, a foundational flow that looks like this. Even though God was, Jesus was so awesome, He was God Himself. He humbled Himself and served. And therefore God has exalted Him and given Him the name above every name. Do you know what? I would like God to exalt you. I would like Him to lift you up. I would like him to give you a name that's above any other name in your family where people say, oh man, the Beathams. Yeah, but what about Sonia? She's phenomenal. She's transforming a school. She's impacting a suburb. She's raised some of the greatest kids ever, right? I would like to see Sonia to have a name above every other name. I reckon Shay could be an architect that changes history, right? Came straight here, worked all night, came straight here to play the bass. That's why he's looking a bit sleepy now. But let's turn our attention away from Shay so he doesn't feel so nervous. But come on, you know that. Come on, there's a call of God on your life. There's a call of God on your life to do more than just get through university, but actually to shape human experience through what God's called you to do. I reckon that with this room is full of people that God is wanting to exalt. The, the, the Old Testament, Chronicles, chapter 2 says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth, seeking whom he may fully support. He's looking everywhere to find people he can fully support. I reckon Dougal is someone God can fully support. John is someone God can fully support. This room is a bunch of people who, hey, come on, if we can get the attitude right, if we can get our heart right, God can come behind us and fully support us in what he's called us to. Amen? There's three words here, mind, attitude, and spirit that I want to talk about. 
In this translation, Paul says this, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. In the older translations, it says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Uh, And there's some modern freaky translations that say um, spirit instead of attitude. We must have the spirit of Jesus. Mind, attitude, and spirit. They're they're sort of synonyms, synonyms, synonyms. They're sort of synonyms. They're like synonyms. But synonyms are somewhat different to synonyms. They're, they're virtual. They are. They're synonyms, which are almost synonyms. There we go. It makes sense now. It's not correct, but it makes sense. Mind, attitude, spirit. Have you ever heard anyone say this? They say this about um, uh, Nehemiel Naskara. They say that he has a rugby mind. He's got a great rugby mind. Bowden Barrett's come with a great rugby mind. Have you ever heard... People say that they've got a great rugby mind. Um, uh, I'm a school teacher. Some people they used to talk about when we were training that some people some people have a teacher's mind. They think like a teacher. They they think like a school teacher. They like people lining up. They like to point at people. Uh, they think like a teacher. That's a joke, by the way. Um, some people say they also, I've heard people say this. You know, they've got a great business brain. Right, So they might be talking about a young person, but they've got a business brain. They may not have all the experience yet, but they've got this way of thinking that's suited to the, atmosphere, the, the area that they're working, the industry they're working. They've got a developed set or a, an innate set of patterns of thinking that are going to help them, right? So let this mind be in you, this mind that says, I don't need to be great. I don't need to grasp at anything. I need to serve. I need to humble myself and serve. That's a way of thinking, like a rugby mind like a business brain, the service mind, a serving mind, a servant mind, a way of thinking, a servant way of thinking, a servant set of ideals and ideas built into our heart. It should be in us. This mind should be in us. There's an attitude, right? Same thing happens to two people. Two different things happen. Why? Because attitude, I think about it, my favorite definition of attitude is that it's an internal posture. Uh, uh, you know people, I know people who have an internal posture of anger. So whatever happens externally, once it hits them internally, it becomes an angry scenario. We all know people with an internal posture of joy. Things that make other people angry make them laugh. But these, these people are called annoying people. But they're real people and they, have, and they really have an advantage because of their internal posture. And this is what I said, Paul's saying this attitude should be, this is your internal shape. It looks like this. Even though I'm great, God made me a little lower than the angels. I don't need to grasp at that. I can make myself of no reputation and I can come in the form of a servant. I don't imagine anyone who's here watching us sit up knows that Dougal has a degree in psychology. Because he's not worried about his reputation. He's coming in the form of a servant, right? And that's what we need, the attitude that says, this is the shape of how I approach things. That even though I know that I'm great, I'm made a little lower than the angels, I can make myself a no reputation, come in the form of servant, humble myself further even to death, can die to my own opinions, die to my own ideals to serve what God has for me. That's an internal, it's a mindset, it's an internal attitude, and it's a spirit. Do you know what a spirit is? A spirit is a pervasive, 
influencing force that's also invisible. Do you know, at Equipus Church Wellington, wouldn't it be awesome if we had this sort of spirit that was pervasive and influential, a spirit that is going to exalt us, that's going to exalt Jesus because we're prepared to humble ourselves and serve. What would it look like? What would your life look like if you had that attitude in you? Sometimes we can put it on us. Can you ever put it? Have you ever very good at putting it on? Put on your servant jacket. Uh, time to go serving. Oh, yes, brother. Let me put the chairs out for you. Yes, Pastor Jordan. Anything you say, Pastor Jordan. Uh, you can put it on. And, you know, you've got to put it on. Maybe sometimes you, do, you have to put it on, right? You make the decision sometimes. But Paul's saying, come on, this thing that we maybe would want to put on needs to be something that's in us. I, I guarantee you, you would be a significantly better husband if you could have this in you. You'd be a significantly better employee if you had that in you. You will get better grades at university if you can have this attitude and this spirit about you. I know that because it's the truth of God's word, that God exalts us when we carry this attitude of service. God lifts us up. Amen? There's a big problem, and I want to talk about the big problem just before we wrap up in the next couple of minutes. The big problem around serving uh, that makes it a little bit weird um, I think is this, there's a big problem, is that you can't serve God. You can't actually serve God. We, we, we do say it all the time. Come on, let's serve the Lord with gladness. Uh, we should serve in the temple. Uh, we talk about serving God, don't we? We talk about serving Jesus. You can't actually serve Jesus. Can't serve God because he doesn't need anything. Because if he needed your help, Really? He's got a lot of trouble. He's really in trouble if he needs my help. If I can help him, seriously, if I can help him, who am I? Right? We don't, he doesn't need our help. Acts chapter 17 says that he doesn't need any help. Certainly doesn't need help from the things that he made. When's the last time you came home and you spoke to your, your year 13 pencil case, you know, your, you know so your year nine wooden pencil case my brother-in-law, his friend, made a pencil case in manual training. Come on, manual training. And he got the hot poker. Some people are like, what the heck? He got the hot poker, and he wrote on the side of it, Kawaski, because he left the extra A out of Kawasaki. Uh, <laughs> when's the last time you came home and you, and you, you, you looked at your, your manual training project, little birdhouse? Oh, please help me. God doesn't need our help. You can't serve God. Here's the thing, though. You can serve his people. You can serve his people. And, and then who are his people? They're the people, the people he's created. You can't serve God, but you can serve his people. They have needs. People have needs. Have you met people with needs? People have needs. You can serve his people. You can serve his purpose. What's God's purpose? What's he trying to do? There's really only one thing he's trying to do. There's only one thing. Jesus, just before he leaves to ascend to heaven, he's got everyone's attention, the 11 disciples there on, on the mountain. They still don't understand anything. It says that they began to worship him, but some of them still doubted. They don't know anything. He's got their attention for one final moment. He says, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations. Teach them what I've commanded you. 
God's got one purpose. For this reason, the Son of Man has come, to seek and save the lost. What's the purpose of God? Come on, what's the purpose of God? For this reason, to seek and save the lost. What's that? How can we serve God's purpose? Go into all the world, make disciples. The Greek word that's used go really could just as easily be translated as you go into all the world. As you are alive in the world, make disciples. It's big. Make disciples of all the nations. Well, not just make a little disciple here and a little disciple there. Come on, we've got this, this global call that we need to express locally. Come on, we can serve His purpose. And the question you've got to ask yourself is, are you? Are you serving His purpose? What percentage of your living hours are consumed with the purposes of God? Because you could, you could do that on an Excel spreadsheet and give yourself a fright. What percentage, well, this is why you're tired, because then you're locked out 10% straight away. 10% of your working hours, boom, you've got them locked away in God's purpose. So then you've got the ball rolling and you can start looking at the other 90%. Come on, what percentage of your time? Because I'm a full-time pastor and I'm a little concerned about the percentage of my life that's focused on His actual purpose. I'm a little concerned about what I do as a pastor. My actual job description doesn't focus on His purpose. Right? Come on, we've got to we've got to serve. We've got to have this underlying attitude to service. But let's get clear about it. It's not about waving our hands and jumping up and down on a Sunday. There's a lot more to it than that. We've got to serve God's people. We've got to serve His purpose. And the last one, you can serve His prestige. You can bring glory and honor to His name. You can serve His reputation. You can serve for His glory. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus calls them all together. And He says this, You know the rulers... Of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them all. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Could I just make a casual observation? You've got the picture upside down. You're trying to be great. I know this for a fact because everyone here is human. You've got the picture upside down. It's time to turn it around. You don't get big by heading up. You get big by heading down. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. It's the oldest song in the book. So straight away you think, cool, okay, I figured this out. I can become great by serving. Straight away the picture flipped around again. Because it's not about becoming great. As soon as you serve to become great, you're not serving, you're trying to become great. Do you see the trap? The picture keeps spinning as we climb up and down it. It keeps spinning around, oh, I'm serving, but I'm serving because I really want to be noticed. I'm serving because that's the right thing to do. Come on, God, Holy Spirit, could you transform me? We've come across another big problem. This is impossible. I've just preached you a whole sermon that none of you can do. The best you can do is serve for a little bit, but I'm asking you to embrace an an attitude of self-sacrifice to the point of death. 
well, I'm really tired, Jordan. Do you know what the reality is? My expectation based on the Bible is that we as Christians can serve to the death. Well, how much is too much? Well, when you're dead, seriously, you can't do any more after that. That's a reasonable excuse. If John was to say to me, oh, I can't preach on Sunday, Jordan, because I'm dead. But really, where are they? Where's the, where, do you, where are you going to draw the line? If God's called you to it, how much are you going to put into it? Well, do you know, like every good sermon and every good message you hear from here, if we preach things that you can do, how much help is that? Well, you can just go away and do it. If I'm preaching something that you can already do, chances are you're already doing it. But we're here at Equipers Church. We're equipping people for life through hard work and diligence. We're equipping people for life through focus and determination. We're equipping people for life through carefully prepared messages with wonderful notes. We're equipping people for life through subtle and incidental music. We're equipping people for life through straight chairs. We're equipping people for life through loud music. If loud music could do it, I'd be perfect. I listened to my stereo in the car on 11. If it was about loud music, I'd be amazing. I'd be shining glorious like Moses. It's not about loud music, but man, loud music is so much better than quiet music. What's it about? It's about faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, I hope that you've got a vision. I hope that this morning that, you, that I've preached you into vision that says, wow, my life could be so much more other-focused. Wow, my life could be so much more glorious and about the glory of God. Wow, my life could be so much more empowered by grace, by God's grace. My life could be so much more purpose-focused. My life could be so much more other-focused. But only through faith in Jesus Christ. It wasn't Paul's determination that allowed him to put up with all the beatings. Do you know it wasn't Jesus' determination either? What did Jesus say? Not my will be done, but yours. It was his relationship with his Father that allowed even Jesus the divine to sacrifice and die in our place. And do you know it's our relationship with Jesus that allows us to be anything like him? You can't be anything like him without access to him, without relationship to him. And if it wasn't, if it's not for the gospel, Really, if it's not for the gospel, we've got to stop doing church. If it's not about Jesus' grace that's extended to us by His sacrifice, that allows us to be an environment of faith and joy and overcoming and forgiveness and and love. If it's not about that, then it really is not about anything. It's really not anything without the grace of God. Sometimes we can preach a sermon that's about working hard and forget the fact it's about working hard to engage with God so that He can transform us. It's about working hard in faith. Do you know what? How hard is it to climb out of a boat? Peter was a fisherman. He had to climb out of the boat on a regular basis. Like every day, at the end of the day, the boat would come in and he would climb out of the boat. When Peter walked on water, what did he have to do? The same thing he always did. Climb out of the boat. The context was slightly different. It was a storm. He was at sea. But what made, what made the, the normal into a miracle was the presence of Jesus. Come on, I reckon God could take our normal, God could take your normal Monday morning tomorrow. What's your Monday morning look like? In the, oh. I didn't see how I didn't use a microphone for that bit. It's experience. You learn things the hard way up here. 
crashing through email. Come on, God can take your ordinary Monday morning and turn it into a miracle. Just get out of the boat, but do it in the presence of Jesus, with the grace of Jesus. Come on, when the, tomorrow morning the kids wake up, come on, parents know it's like it's like firing a gun in a steeplechase, and you got to run through the you got to run through this day, and there's water hazards and jumpy over things. Yeah, I don't know if it happens in your house all the time. It's like the start of the day, and it's like I often say to Christian, "Oh, I've got to go to work early today." Oh, I thought you were. I thought I've got. To, I've got. I've got a meeting on as well. Oh, right, because it's a challenge, right? But in your ordinary day, you come on, let's step in the presence of Jesus. God can turn our work into service that transforms our workplace. He can turn our parenting into serving a generation of champions who are going to transform the world simply by His grace, by His presence with us. Why don't you close your eyes for just one second? I'd love to give people an opportunity to respond to this Jesus. This, the gospel is so simple. It's so simple you can miss it. God so loved the world. He so loved His people. He so loved His children that He'd created, that He sent His only begotten Son. He came in the form of a man and He died a painful death on the cross so that anyone who would believe in Jesus wouldn't perish. We can avoid the judgment set aside for sinners. We can avoid hell simply by believing in Jesus, sent by God, the Son of God, God Himself coming in a human form, Jesus, our Messiah. He died a painful death on the cross at the hands of sinful man so that we could bear the righteousness of God. Scripture teaches that God took our sinfulness and placed it upon Him. And God took His righteousness and placed it upon us. So now, after we've responded to Jesus, when we make Him the Lord of our life, when we repent, asking for forgiveness, when God from heaven looks down upon us from His holy position, He doesn't see our evil. He doesn't see our sinfulness. Rather, He sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus. If you're here this morning, maybe you've never made the decision to acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Or perhaps you're here and and you made that decision a long time ago. And maybe for whatever reason, you found yourself away from God. Maybe you're no longer living a life that honors Him. Maybe you're no longer living with Him as your Lord. Could I urge you this morning, if you're either one of those groups, you've never made this decision before, or you've made the decision in the past, if you're away from God and you need Him to draw you near, would you respond in the next one minute and allow God to transform your world? In a moment, I'm going to pray, but before I do, I'm going to give you a chance to respond and to identify with this prayer. So that's why I've asked everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. And if that's you, and you're wanting to respond this morning and say, I'm going to repent, I'm going to ask God to forgive my sins, and I'm going to choose to follow Jesus from today. If that's you, just shoot your hand up wherever you're sitting. You just pop it right up now. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it back down. Thank you on my left. Thank you, my far left. Is there anybody else? Just shoot your hand up wherever you're sitting. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it back down and then we'll pray. Can I urge you, if you need to do this, don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. If there's something um, uh, something stirring your heart, stirring inside you, why don't you respond to the love of God? right now. If that's you, just shoot your hand up and join with these others who are responding this morning. That's awesome. Thank you. 
That's so awesome. Is there anyone else? Join with these others responding and then we're going to pray. Awesome. Okay, why could we stand to our feet? Church, is that all right? Right across the building. Let's stand to our feet. I, I like to stand and pray. I don't know about you, but it uh, gets your head closer to heaven. <laughs> That's a terrible, terrible thought, but. Yeah, maybe why don't you lift your hands just as a sign of surrender right across from let's pray this prayer all of us together there's there's three people specifically identifying with this prayer but I pray that every Sunday when we pray this that it's your prayer too let's pray together I'll, I'll pray a line then we'll all pray it together dear God I thank you for loving me more than anyone else you love me I thank you for dying on the cross in suffering and in pain so that I could be free. Today I repent and I give you my life. I ask you to forgive my sins and I'm choosing today to follow you. From today and forever, I give you my life. Amen. Right across the room, why don't you just lift your hands? There's a real sense of God's grace. Right through how I was preaching, I know that some of you are like, oh man, this is, I don't serve like that. Some of you are like, well, I can serve like that for one week. Well, I can serve like that in church, but I can't serve like that in the workplace. I can serve like that at the workplace, but I can't serve like that at church. I can serve like that at the rugby club, but I can't serve like that in my own home. Come on, let this, right now the Holy Spirit wants to be in you. I can just, I can just feel God just come into the living room of your life and just say, hey, let's turn this picture around. Let's just turn this around. You've got things backwards. And you're not seeing it as I intended. So I'm turning the picture around. Holy Spirit, we just move among us. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to work in our world. Lord God, right now we choose to receive your grace. Lord, your grace that enables us to follow you, your grace that empowers us in everything we're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Awesome. Can we give God a shout of praise? Super.